Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about tough conversations, Dave, and and where the other person is as you're trying to have a tough conversation. Um, is there something I need to be aware of, Ann? I'm, I'm a little concerned here. Are you trying to have a tough conversation with me? Dave, we need to talk. We need to talk. That's always like the worst lead into a conversation. No, no. The, the worst one, because the conversations we're talking about usually start with, uh, and can I see you in my office? Right. <laughs> yep. Scariest words in business. Yes. I know something's coming. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, and I've heard this called, you know, having tough conversations through a trauma-informed lens. But oh, well, think- stop, 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 stop. Trauma-informed lens? Are we an academic trying to come up with big words? You know how smart we are, Dave. Yeah, not. <laughs> I think it's time to step up our game. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about is having a difficult conversation when somebody's on edge. Well, exactly. And you think about that. Can I see you in my office? What does that immediately do? immediately your brain goes, "Uh oh, we need to, you know, we get that fight or flight response. We go, what did I do now? Right. And (laughs) and you immediately inventory. We immediately start thinking, okay, no, I didn't screw that up. I didn't screw that. Right. It's a natural response. By the way, this is one of the reasons it's not the primary reason, but we talk about, and I don't want to, I don't want to derail this, but we talk about having, you know, one-to-one meetings with, um, with our, with our employees, with our team members, right? Where we're to just sort of get to know you meeting. One of the advantages of doing that is your office needs to be not necessarily a place where only bad things happen. It's sort of like our pets, right? They go to the vet and the first time they go to the vet, the tail's wagging and they're all sniffing and they're happy, happy. And then like the third time they're like, oh, it's this place again. Right. We don't need our office to be this place again. Right. So you need to make sure you're having positive and other conversations. And, and frankly, the conversation we're talking about needs to be a positive one, too. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, you know, that's a great lead in to what we're talking about is to create that environment where it's it's not just bad. But also take into account that when you do have to have that tough conversation, that corrective conversation, that underperformance conversation, or that, you know, you're not delivering, that to understand where that person is and what's happening in their brain, that stress response, and build some empathy in how we're having that conversation, when we're having that conversation, so that the person can genuinely contribute in a logical, intelligent way without getting hijacked by all the stress hormones and that stress response. Yeah, and it's funny, I I talk about this in um, Life or Death Accountability. I cover this extensively in my Accountability Academy. Let's start with nomenclature. Sorry, got academic on you again. Let's start what we call this conversation. I personally like and and highly um, invite people to consider calling it a 
counseling conversation. Because the ones we're talking about are conversations where we are going to try and mitigate or, or, or change a behavior that is counterproductive, right? Can we agree on that? Yes. And, and the, the behavior can be a performance behavior. It could be, I, I had a mover once choke out in a sleeper hold, uh, horsing around with another mover. That, that was actually a terminating conversation. But <laughs> he actually, because we had it on video and he took him right out. And you, we were just playing around, and he was part of it. And, and you can see in the video, he wanted nothing. The victim wanted nothing of this. It was, a, it was, a, it was an all-out. It wasn't even assault. It was a, it was a true battery, and it was the last time the guy worked for us. Right? But we're trying to change. Even in that case, we were trying to change a behavior. Not, not, not on my watch. After this, it was the next place he went to work. You know, but that's the purpose. So that's why I like the term counseling, and I think it changes our perspective when we frame it that way. As opposed to corrective or tough conversation or something like that? Exactly. And frankly, when we call it a tough conversation, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because mm. right? now we're predisposed. Oh, this is going to be difficult. How am I going to say this? No. Look, I've got more experience than you. Or you know, maybe I'm not older, right? Because there are many cases where, where managers are younger than the people they, they supervise. But I'm here for a reason. Right. And now I want to counsel you on what I'm viewing as a coach, because that's, yeah. that's our and job. I, I would argue that for, from my point of view, that calling it a counseling conversation has a little bit more of a mental health connotation than I'd like to put out in a leadership situation. But I love a coaching conversation. And, yeah. and if I've created that positive environment in my office where we have a common vocabulary around what this coaching conversation means, you understand then that my intention is to help you be stronger so that we can all be stronger. And it's not this scary, corrective thing, this finger waggy principal's office kind of situation. Yeah, I, I like coaching conversation. I think that's a, that's a great trite, but still really accurate, I think, viewpoint. It gets you coming from your heart, which is the right place to come from. Exactly. Like, how do I help you get stronger so we can all be stronger? Because that's ultimately what our intention should be as leaders. Yeah. And so before we get into what to do to, to set that up and make that successful, let's talk about what not to do in some mindsets, because I think that's that's helpful as well. What do you think? Well, the first thing that I always think about is what is your mindset walking into that conversation? Are you there to purely get them to apologize and say they were wrong and to admit that they were bad? Because if that's what your goal is, if your goal is to punish them and you're walking in with the punitive mindset, you're not going to solve anything. That doesn't work with adults. No, it, it, what you'll get is lip service. Right. And attitude afterwards. And, and, and not just attitude, it will become passive aggressive because they've learned not to be aggressive. So they're going to start undermining you in subtle little ways that are really difficult to to deal with because they're passive. Exactly. And you don't know about it. And when it comes to persuasion, which we've talked about leadership is, you're not going to have a leg to stand on. It's exactly right. You've in fact undermined your persuasion efforts because mm -hmm. you've sent a subliminal message. I don't got your best interest, but let's be candid here. The reason we take that punitive approach or one might take that punitive approach. And, and I've probably done it in my past as well. You know, I don't want to say like, oh, I've always been great. No, 
these are hard lessons learned, right? Um, is, is more about our ego making us feel good than correcting a behavior. Proving that we're right. Yes. If I walk into that conversation trying to prove that I'm right, I'm just going to look like a blowhard, uh, know it all. And it's tough because we do learn, you know, most of the difficult conversations, quote unquote, that we have in the learning of this all happens in school. And with little kids, sometimes you do have to be punitive. You do have to be a little condescending and you do have to have that authoritative approach because they don't have the logic and all that stuff. But you're dealing with adults in most of the situations that you're, de- that you're dealing with. And so by treating them as such, you're going to get a lot farther. Exactly. And if you have somebody that treating them like an adult um, isn't working, you hired the wrong person. Let's start there, which makes it your problem, not theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like complaining about the sun rising in the east. <laughs> right? They are who they are. And you missed, which we make mistakes in hiring, which is fine, but we need to, we learn, need to learn to recognize that and rectify that. And, and we'll talk about how to do that, I think, as part of this as well in a, in a few minutes. Yeah. And also thinking about what, how else can I approach this situation? Because what I'm doing isn't working. Maybe a different approach that I'm not used to could get better results with these people. So it's having the humility to say, maybe there's another way I could try this that will actually get through to this person. And and I would urge you, if you find yourself having that mental conversation with yourself, seek out your mentors, your superior. If, you know, if you're not the top, if you're not the owner, if there's somebody, you know, they will respect you coming to them for advice. You know, look, I've talked to this guy three or four times. Here's the approach I've taken. What do you recommend? I'm trying to rehabilitate him. I know we don't want to have to replace somebody. And folks, replacing people is expensive, hugely mm-hmm. expensive. Uh, studies that I've read, even a low wage earner, $15 an hour, you know, which is roughly minimum wage, you know, most of the world, most of the country, I should say, not the world. Um, it's super wealthy in many parts of the world. But in, in the United States, that's a minimum wage job. It's going to cost, so that's what, thirty, roughly $30,000 a year. It's going to cost you sixty to $80,000 to replace that person. Mm-hmm. So it's always better to rehabilitate. And so give it, give it your best effort once you've made that hiring decision. And, and you know, for me, that's, you know, I always say, Hire slowly, fire quickly. And by that, I mean is if if there's signs early on, right, the, the person you have 30 days invested in, that's why there's a 90-day tryout period, right? If, if early on, you're seeing it's not working. You know, you, you're getting up to that 90 days and you're like going, oh, God, this is like the second or third time. Cut your losses quickly because it gets much more difficult. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you do going into that coaching conversation to help it be more successful or what your question earlier was, what don't you do? Well, l- number one rule, and I know you've heard this before is don't do it in public. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, you know, praise in public, but, and, and as I heard it was chastised in private. I don't like the term as we already discussed chastised, but counsel in private, right. Or coach in private, whatever, you, however you want to phrase it, you know, to your point, And you alluded to this in the opening, People are in fight or flight, right? The heart's racing. They've got stress going on. All of a sudden, you know, you're, they're being asked to the office and they're going through that mental checklist, right? When, when that cortisol is released and that adrenaline is pumping, 
the brain starts to shut down. It start, We start going to instinct. And what we need them is to hear. Right? If we're talking to them publicly where their peers are around, they get really defensive. Yeah, they get defensive. They get embarrassed. They, they want to shut down. And you might end up having people behind them because you're the one calling them out in public. So you might end up with a angry mob with pitchforks behind the person that you we're trying to coach. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it's happened to me. There's been times where I thought I needed to have a counseling conversation with somebody because they did something wrong. And then when I really uncover, I realized, no, they didn't do anything wrong. If I'm having that conversation in public and everyone else knows the backstory that I haven't discovered yet, all of a sudden my credibility goes down the toilet. With everyone. Right. Right. And so one of the other key mindset pieces that you need is curiosity versus animosity. You need to make sure that you're leaving room for another explanation than the one that you're assuming. Oh my God, what a wordsmith you are. Curiosity versus animosity. Oh, that is, what a soundbite. You should be it's on. It's like music to your ears, Dave. Oh, yeah, you know, it, 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 it is. You, you have the tongue of the bard. It's uh... <laughs> Me and Will. Well, I didn't know you guys were close. I didn't know you were that old. We're on a first name basis and I just look really young. Well, that you do. We can agree <laughs> on that. So, so go, so, um, mindset, coaching, private and curiosity. And I love that curiosity. Again, that's one of the things, you know, I, I, I talk about, we don't know everything. We don't know anything. Assume I, I I remember getting reports. I used to be what's called the legal officer in uh, Fighter Squadron 2011. So we're not lawyers. We don't even play one on TV. We're lay people who get a month of training in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And our job is to administer that, uh, the UCMJ, the military legal system in commands that are too small to have a lawyer attached to them. And um, so my job was to read reports, write-ups as they came across my desk and, and make a recommendation or determination of what to do with it. So I'm reading like a chief would write up a sailor for dereliction of duty, which is saying he's not doing his job right, right? That's, I can't, not that I doubt the chief's word, but I have to take it, that's the chief's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I need the other viewpoint. I need to know what was going on, not just from the chief's perspective, because they may have come in at the last minute. You know, you, you just don't know. There could be personal animosity there. You'd like to think not, but it happens. Right? Mm -hmm. We all know that. You need a bigger perspective than that. So when you go in with curiosity, it gives you the opportunity to, to get a better picture. Yeah. And asking questions is a piece of that. Is going in with the um, intention to ask questions and to find out what's going on and to give that person an opportunity to respond and to share their side and to share their version of the story so that they feel heard and then they're much more likely to listen and correct at the end of the conversation. Yeah. And, and before we do that though, we need to get them to relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I, I remember, you know, I'd have sailors cause so as a legal officer, our job can be, we can recommend anything as high as a courts martial and, and courts martial is a felony. Well, at the highest, a general courts martial is actually a fel felony trial. It's a criminal trial. People don't realize it, but it's it was it, it can result with um, prison time at, at federal prison for long periods of time. And fortunately, I never had to deal with that in my career. 
And there's misdemeanor courts martials too, and and there's actually like more like traffic ticket you could call it, right? There's there's less than that. Then there's what's called non-judicial punishment. So that's the commanding officer has some discretionary things that they could do, and the standard of um, for conviction is it's preponderance of the evidence is the legal term, but it means they think you did it, right? It's fifty-one percent, right? Not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's fifty-one. Yeah, you probably did. I'm going to punish you. And they could do things like reduce you in rank, they, which is obviously pretty costly. Um, they could cut your pay in half for a finite period of time. They could, um, what did we used to call that? Um, oh, they could ground you. Ground you? Yeah. From we didn't call flying or make you stay home on Friday night? Make you stay home on Friday nights. And we call that restricted to quarters. And you actually were stuck in a restricted barracks. And the only place you could go was work, the, the chow hall, or the restricted barracks where there was you no get, entertainment. You get right. grounded. That's a bummer. Yeah, we, we didn't call it grounding, but that's what it is, really. Yeah, right? totally what it is. Oh, here's my favorite. If we were at sea, we could actually restrict you to quarters for three days and limit your rations to nothing but bread and water. No way. Way. It's still on the books today. Or at least I should, I don't know today. I'm assuming it's still on the books today. It was on the books when I was in the Navy. I've never <laughs> seen it done. I always wanted to do it. But uh, <laughs> I got a list of people I'd like to do that too. Yeah. Bread and water. And, and it's Wonder Bread. We're not talking about, you know. Ew. Yeah, right. We are not talking, you know, a, a nice baguette. A nice crusty or, loaf sourdough. <laughs> yeah, no. Not at all. So, so anyway, that's non-judicial punishment. And then, or it could result in the end with, um, you know, just just a, a verbal reprimand is how we would refer to it, which is really the conversation we're talking about. And again, reprimand, not the right mindset, but that's what it was called. And so, you know, I, I got to do enough of these. And the first thing I would do is, hey, come on in, have a seat. I want it relaxed. They're going to be defensive enough. I need, one, them to be candid with me. And two, I need their ears to be open to hear what I had to say once I knew what was going on. Right. And that's and that's key is you want to have an adult, intelligent, mature conversation with this person, not just sit there and wag your finger at them. And you need them to make sure that they feel like they've got a voice in the conversation and that you would like them to have a voice because if they're not feeling that they're just going to shut down and wait till you're done. Or worse. And I had this happen to me when I was running um, a moving company once. We had a, a mover who was injured. So he was on light duty because workers comp. You know, we've had him working in the office. We trained him as best we could. I knew this wasn't his strength. I never would have hired him for the job we had him doing. You know, and he had a lot of latitude because of it, but he was still helping us out with a bunch of things in the office. And he kept screwing up. And so, uh, like the second or third time I was going to have a conversation with him, I invited him into the conference room. My head, heart, mindset was exactly everything we talked about. We walked in the room, I closed the door, and he lit into me before I could say anything. Yeah, you can't see, folks. We're not doing this on video. But Ann's jaw is on the ground. <laughs> Just sitting I mean, here with the, my mouth open like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and he, and... It, I wish I wish I responded differently because he engaged me and that was not going to happen. <laughs> what was his grounds for yelling at you? Oh, I had it in for him. <laughs> you first. know, yeah, 
This is this is this. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. You know, I'm doing I'm doing everything I can to 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 um, make him successful, and he's going into me like this. Here I am giving him a job. You know, when he'd have had like two thirds, and and I figured out later. I think he wanted he'd rather be home on workers' comp, even though he didn't make as much money, than have to come into work every day. Mm, sure. And, and that's what I think was really going on. But at the time, I didn't give it any thought. I just, he, he lit my fuse and it exploded. Uh-oh. Yeah. So the reason I tell the story is a cautionary tale is really take a few minutes to sort of put yourself, I learn, you know, put myself in that place where I'm not going to react. Know that this might, just knowing that could have happened. It was the first time it happened to me in my career. The only time that I could think of. Um and maybe because after that, I was never allowed it to get there again. But, you know, know that this could happen. You have no idea how you corner, to corner an animal, right? Flight or fight. Well, right. And that's one of the things that I talk about in emotional intelligence breakouts is prepare your emotions. No. Hey, what if? Because we don't know. This is why these conversations are so stressful for us to have is because we don't know how the other person's going to respond. And so by saying, if they get angry, I will. If they get, if they shut down, I will. If they start crying, I will. And preparing your own emotional reaction so that you don't get hijacked the way you did in that case. Yeah, that was a huge lesson learned and you nailed it. Because just thinking about it, if I see them break down, how am I gonna respond? If I see them get angry, how am I gonna respond? You know, will give you the tools to respond that way. It, it, that's all it really takes. Right. And, and it's it's understanding how might I or how would I typically react? Is that the way that's going to get the best results? And if not, how do I want to respond instead so that I do get the best results? Right. It's that self-awareness of understanding how might this not go the way I want it to based on my responses and how do I want to respond as a result instead? Yeah. And again, I'm only speaking for me at this point. For me, it's less important that I think how would I typically react to that. As long as, long as I think to myself, okay, when I see this, I'm going to do that. That's how I will react. I know that that works for me, right? And and I may and let me let me clear that up. In my brain, I might scream and yell like a madman, right? My you know. Well, you got it in for me. And I'm like, oh, I got it in for you. In mental conversation. I got it in for you. I'm trying to warp, bend over backwards for a dumb moron like you to get you to, you know. But outside, you know, my, uh, I'd be like, anything else? Right? And, and sorry, folks, I guess you can't see me. Just sort of nodding my head, letting him vent, letting him go on. Any, is there anything else you want to share? Right? Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, isn't that just egging them on? He goes, but think about the alternative. The alternative is, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, that doesn't work because that doesn't get us where we want to get. The other option is, oh no, you didn't. And you start bringing that inside voice to the outside. That doesn't contribute to the situation either. So giving them the opportunity to vent, to say their thing and hearing them and then responding is going to get you the best results, even though it's not an ideal situation. Right. Frankly, all I'm looking for them to do is run out of steam. Right. Right. 
And, and there's a technique I learned uh, when I used to be part of Sandler sales training as a student, um, and they call it the negative reverse, and it works so well. And this works, by the way, folks, when you're dealing with, with customers and customer service who are pissed off as well. I've done this more times than I could count in customer service intentionally, where it's a lot easier, frankly, because you're not they're not directly attacking you as a customer service rep, right? They're, they're attacking the system, and it's easy to hold yourself. And that's to magnify right? You have it out for me. You have it in for me. Yeah, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably feel the same way. God, you're handling this so much better than I would. I would be up. I am? Huh. Right? And I've done that. I've said to people, God, you're handling it. And people have been nuts. You're handling this so much better than I would. I can't, you know, can't, I can't believe how restrained you are. And all of a sudden they go like, oh, oh okay, thanks. I, I feel that you can hear them go, I feel validated. And then sometimes I've exaggerated. If I was in your shoes, I'd be threatening to sue. No, 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 it's not that bad. You over-exaggerate and people, because people will go the opposite of what you do, right? So if, if you engage them and go like, no, you're wrong. I've been working my tail off trying to keep you employed. No, you haven't, right? They're going to push back against your position. If you go, yeah, I think I'd be even more ticked off than you. I'd be threatening to sue or something like that. No, 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 it's not that bad, right? They're going to go against whatever it is you say. And I'm looking at your face, Anne, and you're going like, I'm not so sure that's always that's true. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And I thought the same thing when I learned this. And no exaggeration, I've never seen it backfire. Hmm. Well, there you go then. Yeah. By the way, I learned that from your predecessor, Darren. Oh, smart guy. Oh, uh, well, yeah, you might say that. A lot of people so, have. Yeah. And so, and yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't think to do that. No, it's completely counterintuitive and really uncomfortable the first time you do it, maybe even the second, but I promise you, you start doing that, it becomes kind of fun because it's like magic pixie dust. You're like, sprinkle <laughs> this, watch this, watch happens. I'm going to just completely change your tune. And, and by planning these out, planning your responses, having a technique like that in your back pocket, when you're in that stressful situation where the other person is responding that way, these little rehearsals or these little scripts that you've created for yourself pop up in your head. And so you're not having to improvise in that stressful moment and you're much more likely to respond the way you want. So practice the conversation. Absolutely. So let's so, so we've covered sort of the minds what I, well consider the mindset and the conditions right what the tactical layout as I like to think about it right when you're preparing for and I don't want you to think of it as a battle but when you're preparing for battle you want to prepare the battlefield so it's optimum for you mm -hmm. these are the ways you prepare for this conversation to be the optimum outcome right and I call it controlling the pieces you can control right because I can only control what I'm doing and so yeah right. Same thing. So now we're there. Okay, we've got them. We've got them relaxed a little bit, right? Not quite on edge. They're still going to be on edge, but not quite as on edge, right? You've 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 shown them, and this is one of the benefits, folks. You, you've shown them that you aren't predisposed one way or another. You're open to hearing their side of it. It gives them a fighting chance, right? And you are voice. sincerely open to that. Mm -hmm. yep. That's really important. Right. It's not a game. How do you have that? How do you start? What do you what do you start with this? How do you start this conversation? 
you know, and, and this is another place where I like to rehearse. I will actually write my opening line. Um, I like the I feel blank when blank because blank to share what's the problem and why is it a problem up front first thing so that they know what we're talking about. And uh, and then I plan my my invitation for them into the conversation. So give me an example where you would use that. You flash me back to an NYPD Blue episode where Greg Medavoy and his estranged wife were dealing with marital problems. And she's like, come on, Greg. The counselor said, I feel blank when you do blank. You know, he's like, ah, I feel like you're controlling me when you do this. That's very good, Greg. It's, my head's exploding with that kind of stuff. So, so give me an idea where you... Cause that's not my style. Give me an idea where you would use that and how, what? Basically something's not going well. Hey, I'm frustrated because when I'm seeing you come late to work, the rest of the team has to scramble to make up for it. Now I know there's things I don't know. So I would love to hear your side of this. And that's awesome. Personally, and this is really a variation on a theme. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody who's late to work, I've noticed you've been late to work, buh, buh, buh. what's going on? So I just like the open-ended question. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Similar, similar approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, I'm not that. So, and again, and I think what's important here is you got to be authentically you. Right. I'm not touchy-feely. I feel upset when you show up 10 minutes late every day. Well, and one of the things that I say to people is when you're talking about this, I feel statement, one of the things you're trying to do is sound a little less, um, accusatory attacking when you say you are late to work every day i've noticed you know it just feels a little bit more confrontational than an i statement so just by saying hey i feel frustrated because i've noticed you've been late three out of the five days in the last week it just says things aren't okay and i'm frustrated so it's not about me finding the exact word that describes how I feel. It's just saying stuff's not okay. We got to fix this. Yeah. And I, I guess for me, you know, either you're late or you're not, he knows they, or he or she, right. They know they're late. Right. This is, that's not an accusation. They may have an excuse. They have a reason. Not may. They do. I was guarantee it was traffic. It was my kids getting ready to school. Right. And I, in other words, they didn't plan for things to come up. Right. But, We'll put that aside, but it's a fact. And, you know, so, so for me, it's you deal with behaviors. Behaviors are observable. Okay. You see them, hear them, smell them. And, and, and yes, folks, I've had to deal with smelling, right? Somebody, coworkers who have had body odor issues, right? You get, that comes up. You got to have that conversation. That's probably the most awkward of all, by the way. So awkward. Yeah. Sounds like you've had to deal with that too as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I used to work in fitness. Um, whoa. <laughs> so, so for me, and again, you have to. We each have to find our own. This conversation is, you know, you were ten minutes late on Monday. You were five minutes late on Wednesday, and you were fifteen minutes late again on Friday. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Right? Not you were late every day. Just real matter of fact, as a fact. Boom, boom, boom. And that I think is is right. Either way, that's the point here is we're not accusing. You have to make sure you're doing it as this is just the way it is. 
Well, and this is one of the other pieces that you have to do as you're preparing to go into this conversation, separate the facts from your judgment of the facts. It's really easy to think you don't care about this job. Well, but I don't actually know whether they care about the job or not. I just know that they're coming in late three out of five days a week. So let me make sure that I'm dealing with the facts. You were 10 minutes late Monday, 12 minutes late Thursday, and you know, half an hour late on Friday. What's going on? I, I, had, a, I had a Navy chief once tell me we, we, we counsel behaviors, not attitudes. Right. They can change behaviors. You're assuming attitudes. Right. We infer attitude from the behavior we see. And I've shared this story on the podcast before. Um, it's in my book. Uh, I don't know if I shared it with you or not. But, you know, and, and the brief version is I had a, a good worker who, when I first started working there, I thought he had a bad attitude towards me. He's, you know, born and raised in the ghetto and he was on the phone. Yo, what it is? Word, you know. And I'm like, we're dealing with very high end people in the moving company we, we sort of got through all that and i learned to respect him and then and he started coming around and learning to respect me because and he and i've spoken about this since then you know he he didn't at first you know and and then all of a sudden one day it looked like it reverted back to the old attitude and i remember thinking oh, it's like the old attitude but i took my own medicine and i said you know you're not smiling you're not joking with everybody Right, you seem closed off. What's going on? And I found out he was having a personal issue at home with one of his kids who was diagnosed with lupus. Right. Yep. That's the advantage of taking this, right? Because now I was curious. Mm -hmm. I was curious. Came at it from curiosity instead of accusation. Discover what was really going on. And by the way, folks, I was able to help him, which made not only did it make me feel good, it, it engendered loyalty from him like nobody's business. You know, and, and it had a really good ending. And it could have had a really bad one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the key is we want these relations, these conversations, not only to solve the problems, but to build the relationship, build the respect, build the trust so that future interactions are successful as well. Absolutely. So now we, we've ascertained the facts, what's going on. This is what I've, this is, you know, I'm frustrated because I've observed this. However you come at it is mm -hmm. fine. Yep. You've now taken all the facts. What's next? I'm inviting them into the conversation, saying, I want to know your perspective. So once I've got my facts on the table, they've got their facts on the table. After that, we start saying, okay, how can we solve this? Based on what you just shared and the things you're trying to achieve and the things I shared and the things I'm trying to achieve, what can we do about this? And okay. it's that mutual problem solving. All right. I like this. And so we come up with a solution. The next, I think, is one of the things that are really, well, well let, let's back up. Part of that solution has to be resources, right? So a lot of times, depending on what the problem is, you need to make resources available to them that they may or may not be aware of. Okay. Mm -hmm. It could be something as simple as, listen, you're, if you're running late, you've got my cell phone, you have permission to call me or text me. Let me know what's going on. However, you know, part of that solution is more than likely in the running late. I'm going to target leaving 15 minutes earlier every day. Mm -hmm. so, something like that. You know, I'm going to set two alarms. You know, well, my favorite. Okay, how about how about going to bed earlier, right? Mm. You know, um, that's usually a big issue with young people who you know want to party like it's you know 1984 and um, and 
they don't even weren't even around in 1984, which is. And that's hilarious because it's actually party like it's 1999, but you're working from such a different perspective. <laughs> I couldn't remember the. I remember our last. Uh, I can never remember words this song. So yeah. Yeah, but it it is important to come up with those solutions and agree on the behaviors, you know, and and I may give a little, like you said, hey, if you are running late, text me and let me know what's going on. But that's not the only solution. You know, I don't, being late three times a week is not acceptable, you know, and and making sure you're clear about the expectation. Right, and part of that expectation, so once we've said, okay, how are we gonna solve it? What resources are available? Then we have to talk about what happens if it's not solved. Exactly. Okay. And oh, and actually, one more thing before that even, how long do they have to solve it? So you say, how long? Well, we're being late. Well, So being late is one of those things immediately, right? So how mm-hmm. long could be never happen again, right? If it's a performance issue, not, you know, when I say performance, somebody is not building enough widgets in a day or, you know, whatever that job hitting is. Hitting their sales hitting, numbers, yep. Yeah, not hitting their numbers. How long do they have, you know? And again, it could be immediate, but it more than likely it's going to be some finite period of time that you can both agree on. And, and to your point, Anne, I usually ask them how long. Yeah. And then, and, and, and the catch there is sometimes people be overeager. I'll fix it right away. Okay, that's not realistic. Yeah. You want to set them up for success, not failure. Exactly. But then the final piece, and this to me is uh, the most important. What are the consequences for failure? What are next steps if this doesn't get fixed? Right. And what you're allowing them to do is make the decision for themselves whether they actually want to make the change once they leave your office. By understanding what's going to happen if they don't make the change, they can make an informed decision for themselves as to whether it's worth it or not, because ultimately they're going to anyway. That's correct. And now the, right, it takes you off the hook of going that they go well i i didn't realize i'd be fired when i said the next if you don't if you don't correct this by next wednesday or whatever you're going to be terminated and folks this is not the time for equivocation this is crystal clear clarity you will be terminated you will be fired okay and now right now you've taken away that i didn't know excuse mm-hmm which means they're volunteering for those consequences. Exactly. They're making the decision on their own. They're choosing it. And make sure, I will have a caveat here, make sure you chat with your HR department and make sure you're going through the right, (laughs) Dave's rolling his eyes right now, make sure you're going through the right channels to protect the organization and to protect uh, yourself and the HR team. But making sure you understand what are the next steps from from a progressive discipline standpoint and let them know. So they're making the decision. So when it comes to the point where you have to, you know, put those into place, they're not surprised. They can't be surprised because you had the conversation. Right. And I'm and saying threaten. We're not threatening. We're just saying, just so you know, this is the next step. Sounds like we've got a great solution. You're on board with, I'm on board with. Awesome. As long as that happens, we never have to have this conversation again. But I want you to know what happens if this doesn't get fixed. Yeah, and I, and I want to come back to that one one second. I, want to, I do want to circle back to the to the HR piece because you're you're absolutely right. I wasn't rolling my eyes like this is stupid. 
I'm rolling my eyes because I missed it and, you know, forgot to mention that. That's part of your preparation before the meeting. Right. But you've absolutely looking at whatever the infraction is and or or reason for the conversation is how if unless unless you absolutely know. Right. But have that conversation and go, all right, what am I allowed to do if they don't correct it? And, and then you can make that determination, like I was talking about non-judicial punishment or Article 13, as it's known, because that's the Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 13 hearing, right? There's prescribed things the commanding officer can do. And that changes, by the way, depending on the seniority of the commanding officer. Like a commander 05 doesn't have as much they can do as an 06 who can't do it as much as an 07, right? So, but it's prescribed. It's, it's mm -hmm. detailed out. There's no guesswork it's, there. It's fair. Everybody gets the same consequences. Yep. So, and that's the legality of it. The other piece you want to think about beforehand when it comes to HR is, do I want a neutral third party there? Do I want somebody to protect me from them accusing me of something inappropriate? Do I want somebody to protect them from, you know, me doing something inappropriate? I, do I, is this a situation depending on the person and the specifics of the situation where I want somebody else there. Yeah. And if you're not sure, err on the side of caution. Yep. In this day and age, you just don't know. And right? document all these conversations. Even if it's just a file you have on your computer that you never look at again, have the date, the facts, what happened, what you agreed on, you know, when you're going to follow up and you'd better be ready. And this is something I learned teaching special ed. I taught kids with emotional disabilities and behavioral disorders. If I had set up a consequence, whether it was a positive consequence of doing the right thing or a negative consequence, if they did the incorrect thing, I needed to follow through. And it's the same thing with adults. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, this goes to a point uh, I wanted to make. This is why integrity as a leader is so critical. Yep. Because if you have a reputation of not honoring your word, then the consequences you delve out, the, the consequences you you um, delineate are meaningless. Yeah. You right? completely disarm your own persuasion. Right. So, you know, Anne's point earlier is like, okay, they're volunteering for those consequences, except that they're not if you're not a if person you're not of doing integrity. Them. Totally. Well, and, and forget about the consequences. Other things, too. This is my point. It goes far... If you're like, hey, guys, you know, I'm going to give you next Friday off. You're doing a great job. And then like on Thursday, you go, you know, I know I said we're going to have next Friday off, but I can't do it now. Yeah. Right. Then or if you promise resources because, you know, I'll, I'll help you out with this. I'll give you this training so you can improve your widget production, whatever. You better follow through with that, too. Right. Hey, I'm going to roll up my sleeve and be there with you guys. And then, oh, I got a tea time. Right. Yep. All of the. Yes. Yeah, so, no, it's important. It's with a really important client. Guess what? Each one of those things takes away from your credibility, which means when you're having these conversations, these coaching conversations, and you say, and if you fail to correct this, here's what's going to happen. They're going to go, yeah, sure it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, the, the, when I got hired to moving company, Brian, the owner, he told me a story about a, a customer service rep that he fired just before I came on board. And her response to him when she got fired was, I didn't think you fired anybody. And her, she, she had some pretty outrageous behavior. I didn't think you fired anybody, right? And because that was Brian, he was a quote nice guy, and he, he is a nice guy, and he was really hard for him to fire people. Yeah, and he should have fired a lot more people. You know? Right. Uh, I didn't suffer from that. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, we are almost out of time here, but I think this is a pretty comprehensive 
list of things to think about as you're moving into some of these important conversations. Yeah. And if you if you like this uh, podcast, please subscribe. There'll be more of this and uh, share this with your friends. And uh, if you have any stories you want to share with us or comments, let us know. We'd happy to uh, highlight them in a future podcast. Or even if you have a request for a topic like, hey, what do I do about this or a specific scenario you'd like us to discuss, send it on over. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. See you then. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.